from the Alex Trebek stage at Sony Picture Studios, this is Inside Jeopardy. There he is, guitar hero Johnny Gilbert and his acts playing us in to another episode of Inside Jeopardy, your exclusive and official podcast destination, all things happening in the world of Jeopardy. I'm Michael Davies, joined today by, as always, producer Sarah Foss. Michael Davies, glad to have you back in the pod. I can feel the energy. I can feel the excitement. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, it has been an exciting few days for us. This particularly is an exciting day for us. Today marks the start of Jeopardy Masters in primetime. Over the next three weeks, you're going to witness, behold, Amy Schneider, Andrew Hee, James Holtzauer, Matea Roach, Matt Amodio, and Sam Bring It Buttery. They're going to battle it out across 10 episodes in 20 high-stakes games. And in the end, we're going to crown our Jeopardy Masters champion. And i got to say, these episodes, this has been my dream, my dream ever <laughs> since I came onto the show. It turned out even better than I ever imagined. Yeah, your baby was birthed, and it has been incredible. Now, for those of you who are going to tune in tonight, if you haven't already, check out the player bios, the full airing schedule, various matchups on our website, Jeopardy.com. We want to let you know that tonight's debut episode will feature Amy Schneider, Matt Amodio, and Andrew He in Game 1, and the return of James Holtzauer, Matea Roach, and Sam Buttry in Game 2. And we will keep a rhythm going that for each episode that follows, the matchups will be revealed on our website at 6 p.m. Pacific time, the night before that next episode airs. Yeah, and all six players are going to be appearing in every episode. It's just the individual matchups become a real storyline throughout the competition. Um, The whole match point system, I think it kind of worked. I think it kind of worked. Absolutely. Uh, But we're very interested to hear what you all think about it. Okay, because Jeopardy is a sport, not sure if you've heard that, uh, Sarah. (laughs) And Masters is our... Super Bowl. We're going to be providing live stats coverage on Twitter for each game alongside the East Coast broadcast. This is something completely new for us. We're doing it so that you can follow along in real time while you're watching the show to what is statistically going on. And I should say that, Sarah, at our producer table, Mm -hmm. this is exactly what we were doing in real time during the show, seeing the number of attempts, seeing the number of people who are buzzing in, seeing the number of correct and incorrect answers. We were following those stats very closely. Yes, and to now have a window into what we're seeing live, it's going to be so good. You mentioned that this is our Super Bowl. James Holtzauer getting in on the fun on Twitter. He said in the voice of Jeopardy, Masters is our Super Bowl. And then referring to the poster, you know, with Ken and the six contestants, he says, Jeopardy called out, make sure all ads place the referee front and center. (laughs) (laughs) of course if you've seen it ken is of course front and center so gotta leave it to james he always brings some humor yeah certainly a storyline through these episodes is the banter between james and ken and occasionally the other masters it was all done in good sport but it's uh it's definitely a storyline on the show absolutely and as people have already seen you know he has come back with a new profession he's no longer just a professional gambler he is a self-described game show villain yeah i had a moment (laughs) when you came to me with that that that's how he wants to be described on the show um i had a moment where was i going to allow him Mm -hmm. to do that um we did add self-described because i didn't want to make him be we were calling him a game show villain no that's all his as you know, last week we did tease a little special surprise for our Inside Jeopardy listeners regarding Masters. And what's going to happen? 
we are going to, for the first time ever, share an exclusive video interview with our Masters champion right after that finale. So make sure you head to our YouTube channel and check that out on May 24th. Hard to imagine in just three weeks, less than three weeks, we're going to have a champion. And of course, we're going to break down those Masters episodes right here on the pod every Monday, so you will not want to miss it. And also, let's face it, we don't know who has won Jeopardy Masters yet because in Jeopardy production uh, time, yes. we are still, <laughs> we, you know, we're still more than a week away from shooting that finale. So uh, we're, we're getting there. Yes, there's never been a turnaround like this. So we'll be living these moments almost in sync. It's almost like live Jeopardy, what you've been hoping for, Michael. Thank you. It's as, Absolutely. It's as close as we can get. All right, let's... Oh. <laughs> Let's cue the beep boops on last week's factors. Ready to eat meals make eating better every day easy. When my schedule gets busy, it's nice to have pre-prepared, chef-created, and dietitian-approved meals delivered right to my door. With over 35 different options a week to choose from, and over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons, make your weekly meal planning even more delicious and easy with Factor. Plus, Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. Head to factormeals.com slash Jeopardy50 and use code Jeopardy50 to get 50% off. That's code Jeopardy50 at factormeals.com slash Jeopardy50 to get 50% off. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girly? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, no, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? No. Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Episodes. We kicked off the new week with Mayim Bialik returning as host and Kevin Bell, a.k.a. Whiskey Ginger, returning as our champion, facing off against Cyrus Jow and Mary Helen Schumann-Grow. This was the first show, Michael, where we got to take down those barricades at the producer's table. Oh, yeah, we've been gradually, like the rest of the country, you know, dealing with their old uh, end-of-COVID measures. We've redesigned the producer's table a little bit. Um, slightly different atmosphere. These sort of gradual changes that you'll see in our studio and our set in terms of our camera direction over the next uh, few weeks. But this was a this was a big deal for all of us. It feels we're more connected to each other on the stage. Yeah, it was a good feeling, and it was a good show for Kevin Whiskey Ginger. You know, had a great game, triple stumper in Final Jeopardy. We never love to see that, but Kevin did protect his lead with a minimum wager and secured that second win. I think my favorite category, because this did air on May 1st, it's gonna be May. little in-sync, a little fun. <laughs> okay, well, we're heading into Tuesday. Kevin going for his third win against Amanda Hendrickson and Paul Guelpa. Paul controlled the board for the majority of the Jeopardy round, but only had a small lead over Kevin. In double Jeopardy, the tables turned, and Kevin controlled the board for most of the round. Heading into final, Kevin is correct. And Amanda, his challenger, called Kevin a monster on the buzzer. Kevin explained that he practices his buzzer with a metal toilet paper roll holder. And Paul joked that Kevin was definitely on a roll. You know, a lot of our champions, they say the toilet paper roll holder is the way to practice. Wow. I wonder what I'd be using. But uh, <laughs> maybe that would be an option. I've heard it is very successful. 
Hi, I'm Buzzy Cohen. You've heard me on Inside Jeopardy, breaking down stats, analyzing contestant plays, and reviewing key moments from recent games. Well, I'm hosting another Jeopardy podcast, but this one's a little bit different. Think less sports, more history. We'll be taking you on a journey from Jeopardy's beginning in the 1960s through the Alex Trebek years to its current day super champs. For the last 60 years, we've been watching one show. Hear how it all came together on This Is Jeopardy, the story of America's favorite quiz show. Out now from Sony Music Entertainment and Sony Pictures TV. We're moving on to Wednesday where Kevin went for his fourth win facing Hannah Wilson and Dan Chakulski. Kevin ran into a buzzsaw in Hannah Wilson in this game. She had an amazing round, 14 correct responses, zero incorrect, a $2,000 daily double, ending the Jeopardy round with over $10,000. Continuing that in double Jeopardy, another 10 correct responses, another daily double. She ended the round with 22,800, but Dan did have just over half of Hannah's score, so it would all come down to final. Both Dan and Hannah were correct, Dan nearly doubling up, but Hannah bet just enough to edge him out. In Thursday's game, Hannah returned to face Marie-Claude Dussault and Warren Grace. More dominance from Hannah, 17 correct responses and a $3,000 daily double. Up until this point, Hannah hadn't gotten a single incorrect response in her run, and she ended that first round with a massive $13,000. We go into the break. This is one of those moments when our host will often do some Q&A with our audience, and I learned something new about Mayim. She revealed that she had auditioned for the role of DJ Tanner in Full House. Had she gotten it, who knows what would have happened. She certainly wouldn't have been Blossom. Who knows if she would have been our host. But hey, you learn something new about your hosts every day on Jeopardy. Yeah, well, back to Jeopardy. (laughs) Although I do, I love it when Mime and Ken speak to the audience. I learn stuff every day too. Um, Hannah was one of those players that during rehearsal, you just see something special. Hannah's a little shy she doesn't cut a really large force on the stage, but there was something in, in her demeanor that just made me think, oh, this is going to be a player. This is going to be a player to watch. And, you know, you could really feel on the stage some of the intimidation of, of, of her fellow contestants. Well, and as we learned in the interview, she's a big crossword puzzle solver. She's ranked 18th in the country, which often marks a good Jeopardy champion. She joked that she's actually number two in the Midwest, and she just needs to beat Eric Agard, of course, one of our favorites, Michael, a season 35 champion, who once really upset Alex Trebek. You know, he talked about how sometimes people will come up to him on the street, and they'll be so frustrated that he's written a puzzle that they, they can't answer, and that one time someone threatened to throw a pie in his face. So no sooner did Alex hear that, he had us backstage getting a pie ready so that when we came out for Alex's next show and Eric's next show, Alex had a pie in hand for the interview segment. He, of course, didn't end up throwing it on Eric Agard, but certainly a fun memory in Jeopardy history. Okay, on to Double Jeopardy. Uh, Despite breaking her perfect, correct responses, Street Hannah had her most lucrative round yet in Double Jeopardy. You know, I love a stat. 16 correct (laughs) responses, two huge daily doubles, uh, $5,000 one, a $6,000 one. Gave her over $35,000 at the end of the round. And a never-in-doubt runaway. Yeah, she added another 10000 in final, giving her a score of $45,200. Very impressive. 
We closed out the week with Hannah going for her third win up against Brian Alzua and Ashwin Fadness. A little slower start for Hannah in this round, but she did manage to take a lead heading into double Jeopardy. And of course, in the Jeopardy round, we had the great American baking show category with none other than Ellie Kemper. Yeah, and you know, I'm a big sports fan, love a sports final. We had a good one in this uh, in this game. An MLB team got this name in 1902 after some of its players defected to a new crosstown rival, leaving young replacements. Of course, that was the Chicago Cubs. Two of our players got it right, Ashwin and Hannah. But Hannah bet the right amount and prevailed. Yeah, and again, we write these categories and clues long before we know who our contestants are going to be. Of course, Hannah is from Chicago. So Chicago Cubs, in the postgame chat, Ashwin joked, I was hoping Hannah wasn't a baseball fan, and Hannah responded, it's the one sport I know a little bit about. Now, we did have that Great American Baking Show category in the show. Had a lot of fun shooting with Ellie Kemper, and I had a chance to speak with her after we wrapped. Take a listen. So, Ellie, what's it like to deliver clues for Jeopardy? Very nerve-wracking. I have been looking forward to this day because your show is iconic and has, like, such a treasured place in American pop culture. But once I'm here and actually recording it, I can, like, only hear the sound of my own voice, which is not so pleasant to hear your own voice. But also, the sort of reality of the moment is sinking in. So I was very nervous. But it's also exhilarating. And what was it like hosting a baking show or are you a baker? Okay. First things first. Not a baker, but I loved hosting the show because Prue Leith and Paul Hollywood are like so iconic. I love Prue Leith's voice. Everything just feels so regal and you know, like very very noble and and graceful. And the bakers themselves were just fabulous. They were all really, really kind people. They were all rooting for each other. And I think it's really cool to watch people who are very good at something do their craft. And Zach Cherry's like phenomenal. So it was really fun to just chat and make jokes with him and then get to go see what these real, like true geniuses were making. So all in all, I'd say it was a positive experience. (laughs) And if you had to make something they created... What do you think you're going to add to uh, your repertoire? Uh, Well, literally everything they created is way above and beyond my own skill level. But um, maybe I could, let's see. Oh, you know what? The um, churros that they made. I feel like I could handle those. (laughs) Some of the churros that they made, it was funny to watch Prue and Paul eat them because they like ran the gamut of good to bad. Like the churros were all different sizes and like textures and stuff. I do feel like I might be able to handle making a churro. But beyond that, with all the choux and the ganache and the creme de fafa, <laughs> I can't make those. I'm right there with you. I know you're friends with Ike Barinholtz, who is, of course, our celebrity Jeopardy champion. What did you think of watching him make it all the way to the end and win. Never had a doubt in my mind he would go far. I was also rooting for BJ, but Ike is, a. there's no shortage of knowledge in his head. And also, who doesn't want to root for Ike to win, you know? So I was thrilled to see him. I'll tell you who was very excited, like even more excited than I was that he won, was my mother. My mom was so excited. <laughs> she, <laughs> she loves Ike. She just loves him. And so she just always has. And so she was really happy about that. But I'm thrilled for him. Is he coming back at all? Oh, yes. He's coming back. Yes. He's going to be in the Tournament of Champions, Ellie. Yes. I will be. I always tune in, but I will be doubly tuning in for that episode. We love him. And a great cause he was raising money for, too. Absolutely. Now, I have to ask. We know you're a great clue presenter. We've seen it on the show. 
Would you ever want to compete on the show like Celebrity Jeopardy? Guys, I know my limits. I was nervous reading the clues. Can you imagine me as a contestant? First of all, I would be nervous about the buzzer. I would be nervous about the lack of knowledge. I would be nervous about everything. No, I can't be a contestant. I, I, I'm grateful and honored you even asked. Not that you asked, but I'm grateful that you even put it out there. But I can't. I, I want to remain a clues reader. Okay, well, we know you're great at that. Thank you so much for being a part of the special category and for being on Jeopardy. Thank you so much for having me. This is like another bucket list item. We'll see if we can convince her to come on Celebrity Jeopardy. For now, she's just signing on to read another category, but that would be incredible as well. All right, Michael, that wraps up our game recaps. Let's do some viewer questions. Okay, here we go. Sean asks, while watching some older episodes uh, from the 80s and 90s, I've noticed contestants used to walk out to the podium and the opening music was different as it built up to the Jeopardy theme we all know and love when Alex walked out. Do you know why contestants went from walking out to the podium to already being in place? And is the theme that was originally used actually part of the Jeopardy theme music? Well, as you can imagine, you know, every moment of Jeopardy is precious. And every second we take up not playing the game is one opportunity that we might not finish the game board. So as legend has, early on, Merv Griffin said... Let's stop the contestant walk. Let's start with them on the stage and let's just get into the game already. So that's why that change was made. In terms of the music, the actual theme is still from the same original music, but there used to be a little more buildup to it that we ended up taking off when we didn't need the contestants to make that walk onto the stage. Steve asks on the April 27th episode, what is Hannibal was a correct response to clues in both the Jeopardy and double Jeopardy rounds. This referred to two different Hannibals, of course, but I can't help but wonder if this is the first time the same correct response has been used twice in one episode. Well, you know, we've done over a half a million clues in our nearly 40 seasons, so yes, it has happened before. And what our writers really look at when they dupe a game, as we call it, is they make sure that if there was a response that was the same, that it's not the same meaning. In this case, in one of the clues, we were referring to the boyhood home location and museum of Mark Twain. And in the other round, we were referring, of course, to the Silence of the Lambs character. So yes, correct response, very different meaning. And in those cases, we do let it fly. Yeah, we let it fly. Probably not entirely intentional. <laughs> that was the sort of note that I probably should have caught when we were going through the stacks. But yes, you're right. They were two different Hannibals. All right. Well, that is it for today's show. Join us Monday for more gameplay discussion as Hannah Wilson goes for her fourth win. And of course, we are going to be breaking down the first four Jeopardy! Masters episodes. Yeah, I really can't wait to uh, hear what you all think about those episodes. I'll be on Reddit. Uh, <laughs> tonight, I will be following along on all social media, uh, finding out what you think about it. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. Rate us. Leave us a comment. Please let us know what you think. Ask us questions uh, across social. Follow us at Jeopardy! on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, on YouTube, on TikTok anywhere else where you can find us and send us your questions to InsideJeopardyPodcast at gmail.com. See you all next week. Bye.